Acts chapter 2. That's where we're going to begin this morning. And uh, we'll be looking at a few verses today. Acts chapter 2. Bow and have a word of prayer. Lord, we come before you this morning and we ask that you might be with us today. As always, we need your help. We need the Spirit with us to guide us in our worship, to lead us into uh, our honoring of Christ, to be able to enable us to uh, worship you, to preach you, to understand you. Lord, we need your help. And so we pray, Lord, today that you would be amongst us as you have promised you would. When two or three are gathered in your name and we come, Lord, in your name, we don't come in the name of Sovereign Grace Baptist Church. We don't come in the name of Christianity. We don't come in the name of uh, the preacher or anybody else, but we come in the name of Jesus Christ. He is our head. He is our uh, shepherd. He is our uh, leader, our father, our substitute. We come on behalf and because of him. And Father, we are this morning desiring to hear and to know more about you, uh, to hear from you, Lord. So we ask that you would bless this service today. I pray that you would help me to preach truth today, that you would restrain me from any carnal wisdom that I might have, that I might be leaning upon, uh, Father, that you might just give me utterance of truth. I pray, Lord, for these brethren that are here, that they too might hear and understand as the Spirit teaches them. I know that the words from my lips, they cannot teach anybody, that they cannot change or convince to bring repentance to anybody, Lord, but it's by your Spirit that you work all these things. We're thankful for Christ Jesus. We're thankful for his death on the cross as our substitute, that all he bore on our behalf, that we are the recipients of his righteousness the forgiveness of sins, and the reconciliation to God. But Father, we're also grateful that by His Spirit He comes and He ministers to us, that He brings comfort to us, that He teaches us, and He grows us in the grace and knowledge of Himself. So Lord, we just pray today that Your will will be done in all things as it always is. We pray, Lord, that You would be honored in our gathering today. And we pray for our brethren that are not here. We ask, Lord, that you would be with them, that you would strengthen them, that you would encourage them. We especially pray this morning for uh, Brother Reigns, Lord. We don't know what all is going on with him in the hospital, but, Lord, we pray that you would just be with him, that you would minister uh, through the uh, staff at the hospital. Lord, that you would be with his family, that you would give them peace and comfort, that you would be with the church as well, Lord. We just ask that you just bless this time together. Bless those who are listening by sermon audio or by live stream. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would also minister to them as well. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, brethren, <clears throat> the Lord has uh, laid upon my heart to continue to uh, look at some of these aspects of uh, uh, why we need sovereign grace. We kind of started looking at this two or three weeks ago. And uh, 
we've looked at several things uh, why we need sovereign grace. You know, I mentioned this in the very first sermon that I preached on it, uh, that, uh, you know, often people wonder why you call yourself sovereign grace or why is your church named sovereign grace. Uh, some don't have a clue what sovereign grace is all about. We've had a lot of people visit our church and they didn't know what sovereign grace meant and uh, came for a little while and realized what we believed. Thought, oh, wow, I, <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm getting out of here. That's not what I've ever been taught growing up. And <clears throat> so why do we need sovereign grace? Or why is that such an important thing? Are we being stickers for a theological system? Uh, or are we preaching the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ? And I lean towards the latter. Sovereign grace is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I didn't say Calvinism is the gospel, as many false teachers say, as many Reformed people say, as C.H. Uh, Spurgeon, who I've grown to despise a lot, Calvinism is not the gospel. Calvinism is a theological system. Sovereign grace is the gospel of Christ saving his people. Uh, sovereign grace is what God, in, in Romans 9 that we've read, showing mercy upon whom he would show mercy and compassion upon whom he show compassion. That's sovereign grace. Sovereign grace is God giving us or doing to us what we could not do or give to ourselves. That's what sovereign grace is. It's bestowing or doing or working on behalf of someone else who has no ability to do what they cannot do. You know, I've always said I cannot believe what I cannot believe. If God has not given me the ability to believe something, I cannot believe it no matter how much People try to convince me of it. It has to be convinced by God through his teaching. I cannot believe on the Lord Jesus Christ if God doesn't give me the belief to do it. It's not a natural thing. So we've kind of seen this over the last few weeks as we've been looking at different things on why we would need sovereign grace. We've looked at um, the fact that we cannot understand or see spiritual things. We need sovereign grace to help to, to cause us to be able to see these things. We, we've seen that we don't even know our own heart, that it's deceitfully wicked above all things, and we don't even know it. So we don't even know that we are being deceived in this religious system that teaches that if we just accept Jesus, if we just repent, if we just believe, if we will just ask Jesus into our heart, or if we'll just be baptized, or if we'll do try to follow the Ten Commandments to the best of our ability, or whatever the case, then we'll be saved or kept right with God. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel is never you do something. That's never the gospel. I don't care what it is. Repent and believe, and we're going to be talking about that today. Repent and believe, that's not the gospel. Whenever someone says, go out and preach the gospel, what's preaching the gospel? Repent and believe. That's not the gospel. That's part of the gospel. Okay, that's part of the gospel. That comes after the gospel. But the gospel is the declaration that Christ has accomplished salvation for all his people. That is the gospel. 
The gospel is the fact that sins have been forgiven. That Christ is victorious. That God is satisfied. That those for whom Christ died, they have been justified before God and there is no more sin on their account. That Christ has given to them imputed righteousness. That's the gospel. And then the call to repent and believe comes after that. The call to repent and believe is not the gospel. The gospel is the good news of the finished work of Christ. The call to repent and believe is the call of conversion. Two different things. The gospel tells the good news to those who have been born of God. And those who have been born of God, taught of God, have the Holy Spirit of God, gives them understanding of this thing, when they hear the gospel, are given to believe and to repent. Repent and believe comes after, not before. It doesn't come before salvation. It isn't the cause of your salvation. We're going to talk about those things this morning. But we've already seen that our heart is deceitful above all things. And we don't even know it. Our heart wants to tell us we're okay. If we'll just follow this religious system, we're all right. You know, if you come to church and if you give your tithes and if you, you know, if you if you read the Bible so much and if you pray so much and if you go out and witness so much and if you if you uh, you know do good, follow God's laws, you're going to be all right. That's not the gospel. And our heart deceives us, making us think that we are producing a righteousness before God. And the Bible clearly says that all of our righteousnesses are filthy rags. That we cannot please God, period, in our flesh. The only thing that pleases God is Christ. Christ pleases God. He is the sweet-smelling Savior. His work are the works that abide. His works are the ones that are counted for righteousness. Not ours. Nothing that we do can do that. Can make a righteousness before God. We see it all through the Old Testament. We see it all in the New Testament. People trying to establish a righteousness before God by doing things that they think God is going to accept and God will not accept anything that you try to produce for righteousness. If you try to make yourself good with God, keep up good tabs with God, By doing certain things, that's not going to be accepted by God. The only thing that is accepted by God is what Christ worked on our behalf. And the only fruits that we might ever bring forth are spiritual fruits, and they are spiritual fruits. They are the fruit of the Spirit. They come from inside. They are on the inside. They are the works of the spiritual man, not the works of the fleshly man. And so our heart makes us want to believe differently. We've seen that we cannot remove ourselves from the curse of the law. God has to do that. He did that in His Son. We can't get out from under the curse of the law by trying to keep the law. God had to do it in sending His Son. We've already seen that we need sovereign grace because we have no ability to receive the Holy Spirit. We don't have any ability to understand God's words. Because they're spiritually discerned. You have to be born again. Therefore, last week, we seen that we cannot cause ourselves to be born again. Repenting and believing does not cause us to be born again, as some believe it is. Some believe that that's what causes it. 
that the new birth comes by a sovereign, gracious act of God on the child of grace. So we've seen that so far in every aspect of what is commonly referred to as the gospel, that in every aspect of conditions that are placed upon us, you need to understand this, you need to believe this, you need to repent of this, your heart needs to be right with God, you need to do the law of God, you need to understand, read God's word and understand it, and then repent and believe so that you can be born again. Every condition that modern churchianity, modern Christianity, puts upon the people of God, every condition that is not the gospel, that is false gospels, okay? They need to be turned from. They need to be called out, turned from, get away from, not be under. And a lot of people, they say, well, I can still be under that. I know the truth, and I know that they don't know the truth, but... You know, I still get some good out of that. How can two walk together unless they agree? How can... Let let me ask you this. If me and my wife, we've been married now for a long time. If I went out and started holding hands with another woman, said, no, I still love you. You're still my wife. I just kind of like this woman here, too. What do you think my wife's going to think? She's not going to be happy, is she? She's not going to be happy at all. Why? Because I belong to her. I'm her husband. Whenever we are married to Christ, if we go out harloting with another, another gospel, that is not a gospel. Listening to a servant that is not a servant of God, according to Galatians. Whenever we go do that, that is in itself somewhat spiritual adultery. And so we listen and we hear all these quote-unquote gospels that are telling us that sovereign grace is a cult. Sovereign grace is a demonic doctrine. Sovereign grace is a theological system made up by Calvin. Or Augustine. That's not true. Sovereign grace is the very, very gospel of Jesus Christ. And call it what you will, but that is the truth. And we've seen so far that every aspect of this modern gospel is completely and totally opposite of what the gospel actually says. What the Bible actually says. So if something is the opposite of something is the opposite of something, it is what? It's anti. Right? If it's opposite of something, it's anti. And so anything that is opposite of Christ is antichrist. Anything that is opposite of the gospel is anti-gospel. Anything that is opposite of righteousness is anti-righteousness. So to try to think that we can birth ourselves in the kingdom, repent and believe and cause God to give us salvation based upon the condition that we kept, that is anti-gospel. That is anti-Christ, anti-righteousness. So is it an important thing? Is marrying ourselves to false doctrines, false thinking, false preaching, false teaching, false gospels, false Jesuses, 
You say, well, there ain't no such thing as false Jews. There's only one Jesus. No, Jesus himself even said, there's going to be many that's going to come saying, I'm over here, I'm over here, I'm over here. There's going to be false Jesuses that's out there claiming to be Jesus. There are going to be people out there claiming this is a work of God. And it's not a work of God. But because people have not been given the understanding, the spiritual understanding of God's Word. They don't know God's Word. The Bible even says, even among God's elect, there are those who, because God has not taught them and because they do not study their Scriptures and know their Scriptures, and the Holy Spirit giving them understanding of that, they're ignorant. That's why the Bible says, my people... Uh, my people perish because of lack of knowledge. They, they, they have a lack of knowledge. And so they're following every whim and every, every little doctrine that's out there because it sounds good, because it looks good, because the popular people are following after it. It's being plastered all over the, the world. It's being plastered all over the internet, all over the radio, all over the TV. But brethren, remember, Jesus said the people who hold to the truth are going to be suffering. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to be rejected. They're going to be small. It's going to be a small thing. It's not going to be a popular thing. If the world is out there looking on and saying, that's awesome, and they want to get part of it, guess what? You can probably guess it's not of God. Because the natural man cannot believe these things. Cannot understand these things, cannot know these things, and do not desire these things of the true gospel. Now, that's not my words. That's Jesus' words. We've already read that. Jesus is the one who said, you cannot hear my words because you are not of God. So, brethren, we need sovereign grace because apart from it, we cannot be saved. Without sovereign grace... We are left hopeless. We are left destitute. We are left under the wrath of God. We are left to our own demise. In the fact of all we can do is sin and we can't get out from underneath it because that's all we desire to do. That's all this flesh can produce is sin. But the difference of the child of grace is they've been given a new birth and in that new birth a new creation has come to indwell that flesh clay pot. The Bible calls it, we have treasure in earthen vessels. The treasure is Christ. He lives in us. He is in us. And therefore, what we are in the inward man is not the same as what we are in the natural man. The natural man can only sin. The inward man cannot sin. Therefore, there is a contradiction. There is a warfare. Now today I want us to look at why do we need sovereign grace and the reason we need sovereign grace is because without it we cannot repent and believe. Man cannot repent and believe. And we know that that was being preached that was being taught after the gospel um Whenever people would inquire. Matter of fact, look in Acts chapter 2 with me, and we'll start there. 
There are many that's out there that's going to listen to this or hear what I've just said. And they're going to say, well, what about all these verses that tell us to repent and believe? It's a command. See, even the Reformed believers say that the gospel is a command. I've preached that. As a, as a sovereign grace believer, I've preached that the gospel is a command. Well, the gospel is a declaration. It's good news declared. Because salvation doesn't come by any conditions, right? So if you command somebody to do something in order for something to take place, that's no different than what the Arminian says whenever they say that you can't get salvation unless you do this or that. See, repent and believe is not a command in the aspects of to get salvation. It's a command because you have been saved. And Christ, in that preaching to the heart, in that giving the hearing of the ears, in the understanding of the mind, like calling out Lazarus from the dead, He's calling His people to repent and believe. And guess what? They repent and they believe. Because He has given them that. He has caused them to do that. He has granted them that ability to repent, and to believe. So it is an inward command of God, not an outward call of an offer or an invitation. The gospel is not a command to give someone as a conditional thing. But it is an inward call that Christ gives to His people because He has given them spiritual life to believe on the true gospel. That's why I say, I don't believe anybody's going to get out of this lifetime without ever coming to the understanding of sovereign grace. If they are a child of grace. If they are an elect of God, before they pass from this lifetime, they are going to come to know Christ in this capacity. Because faith has been given to them. And that faith does not hold to a false gospel. If, if it wasn't such a big deal, God wouldn't have made such a big deal in the Bible of declaring all over the epistles to beware of false gospels. If it wasn't such a big deal, if it was just a, oh, they just don't have a full understanding, oh, they just don't know that. Listen, I completely understand that there are people who do not have full understandings and that God grants them the ability to believe that in time as things go along, He gives them the understanding of that thing. I will say that, but I do not believe that there will be people that will leave this lifetime that never come to know this true gospel. It's just antithetical to everything that the Bible teaches. So if one is to know this gospel, it has to be taught by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has been given and promised to be that very thing, the teacher. Now that's God's promises. That's why I can stand sure on that. I can stand sure all that the Father giveth me shall come or believe on me. I can stand on that because God promised that. And God doesn't lie. Preachers lie. People lie. Everybody lies. But God doesn't lie. And He said that all my children, all His people that was given to Christ, will come and believe on Him. Well, he's, they're not going to come and believe that he didn't do what he said he did. They're not going to believe a lie about him. They're going to believe the truth about him. 
He's going to bring them to believe on Him. Is that going to happen instantaneously as soon as they're born? No. Is it going to happen instantaneously as soon as they become a young man? No. Or a young woman? No. When is it going to happen? Whenever God grants them repentance and faith. That's whenever it's going to happen. We don't know when that's going to happen. We can't control that. I can't speed that up. I can't hinder that. That's the good part about sovereign grace also. Especially for a preacher. You know, I grew up under a system that believed completely opposite of what we believe now. That it was by man's choice that we are saved. That God did all this in Christ and it was a plan that God predestined, but he never did predestine anybody to be saved. He never did cause anybody to be saved. That that was by their own choice. That he give them, choose you this day whom you will serve. That's what I would always say. I'd use that verse to, to, to make that point. And that repentance and belief had to be done before God would give you the gift that he had promised to give you if you did that, right? But brethren, that's uh, not what the Bible teaches. It doesn't teach that we are to do that. So, let's look at this. Acts chapter 2, some will say, well here, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it says right here. Now, of course, this is after Peter has preached the gospel. He's already preached the gospel. But now, look at verse 38. It says, or verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Okay, they heard the gospel and now what? what is it? And it says they were pricked in their heart. Well, who's the one that pricked them in their heart? Well, that was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit pricked them in their heart. And they said, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, to some they will say, Well, there you go. You have to repent. What, what must we do? We have to repent and believe to be saved. For the remissions of sin. You're not going to get this, your sins remitted if you don't repent and believe. That sounds conditional. So that's that's conditional. Repent and believe for the commission for the remissions of your sins. But is that what that's saying? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the remission of sins. Now that word for there can mean in order to get, it can mean that. But the Bible also teaches that that for also can mean something different. And I've taught this to you guys before. I learned this actually from my grandpa. <clears throat> that word for can mean because of. And I've given you this illustration before. If a man goes off to war and fights in a war and does something very heroic and he comes back and they give him the Medal of Honor. And the guy comes and pins it on him and says, we give you the Medal of Honor for bravery. Did he get that medal so that he could go out and be brave? No, he got that medal because he already had been brave, right? He got, he got the medal for bravery or because of bravery. 
Same thing here. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ because of the remissions of sin. Because your sins have been remitted, repent of your false beliefs and be baptized showing forth the gospel. You're not saved by this old pharisaical law system that your teachers are teaching you to hold to, that you establish a righteousness by law-keeping, but show that you have had your sins remitted, not by law-keeping, but by death, burial, and resurrection. See, the call to repent and believe was not to be saved, but to show forth that you have been saved. Okay? So someone says, well, that was a conditional thing. Well, no, it wasn't a conditional thing. Look also at chapter 3 and verse 19. We'll see the same thing. Peter again says, um, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the time of restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So someone say, well, there you go. He commanded them to repent and be converted, so that their sins may be blotted out. Okay, well, is that a conditional passage then? You have to repent and be converted before your sins were being were blotted out? Well, brethren, we know all through the Scripture that our sins are blotted out by what? The blood of Christ. The Bible overwhelmingly teaches that forgiveness of sins comes by the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of Sins. Remission of sins is the same as blotting out. So that would be contradictory if we said repent and be converted so that you can have your sins blotted out. Therefore, repent and conversion is what causes God to blot out your sins. And then for the Bible to say, by the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There has to be a shedding of blood. The shedding of blood is what is the remission of sin is by the blood of bulls and goats that God accepts. That we are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. So those are contradictory. Which one is true? Which one is false? Well, we obviously know the Bible overwhelmingly teaches that blotting out of sins is by blood. So obviously our understanding of what does he mean by repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Well, what is repentance? Repentance is a what? Change of mind, right? Repentance is a change of mind about something. Being converted means what? To turn from one thing and to turn to another. So they're very closely interwoven. Repentance and conversion or convert are basically synonymous, but they are a little bit different. Repentance is I have changed my mind and now I have been converted to something else. 
Remember the Bible says that they had turned from God or turned from idols to God? They turned from idols, that was the repenting, and they turned to God, that was the converting. Okay? That's what it is with the gospel. Whenever the person hears the gospel, they repent of their false gospels, that's repentance, and then they convert and turn to the true gospel, which is Christ's gospel. Repentance, conversion. Repent and be converted from what? From thinking that you're Salvation, that your sanctification, that your justification, that your glorification is in your law keeping, in your performing righteous deeds before God and be converted to the fact that Christ has been your obedience and that Christ is your righteousness, your justification, your sanctification. Your glorification. Make it about face from what you've been taught to what I have taught you, what Christ has taught you. Why? So that your sins may be blotted out. Meaning that God's now going to forgive you? No, so that our experience in our mind, we know our sins are being blotted out. If we continue in the pace of I need to provide a righteousness of my own by keeping the law, by obeying God, by following conditions. I'm always going to fail because the Bible tells us that we cannot keep the law. The law will thunderously condemn us every day, all day. And so if I continue in this course, believing that I can establish a righteousness before God by being religious and doing religious things... It's always going to be putting up my sins. My sins will ever be before me. But if I repent and be converted to the gospel, the gospel only tells tells us there are no sins. That all your sins have been forgiven. As far as the east is from the west. All of our sins have been blotted out. He has removed them. We are now as white as snow. That our record is justified. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what the gospel tells us. That's why it says, if you repent and be converted, so that your sins may be blotted out of your mind. If you turn this way, your sins are ever before you because you continue to break the law. But if you turn this way, you'll see that God has removed those sins, that you are no longer uh, condemned by sin. That the law no more has any mastery over you. And that Christ has done all to satisfy God on your behalf. Whenever we are thinking this way, our sins no more are before us. We are no more... And I'm not saying that we're not sorrowful for our sins. We continue to sorrow whenever we sin. Whenever I sin, I sorrow for that. I hate that I sin. Just like Paul... I know the good that I want to do, but I don't do it. There's a sorrow for sin, but brethren, there is not a depression. There is not a uh, a feeling of condemnation anymore. 
There is a rejoicing in the fact that our sins have been taken away. And so he says here that your sins may be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come. See, whenever we look at the gospel and we sin, the time of refreshing, that time that the Lord sends the Spirit to bear witness with our spirit that we are His, and if we are His, then we are children of the promise. And if we are children of the promise, the promise was that I will remember your sins no more. That's part of the promise. The Spirit comes as a refreshing to the children of God that are sins there, that no one can lay any charge to God's elect. I don't see that whenever I'm going in my own righteousness. All I see is my sin because I keep breaking God's law. I can't keep it up. But whenever I repent and be converted to the gospel, then all I hear is, therefore, there is now no condemnation. No one can lay any charge to God's elect. Forgiven, justified, sanctified. Those are the gospel words. The law words are condemned. Unjust, unrighteous. That's what the law says. And Christ is saying that you are no more bound to the law, but you are bound to grace. That you are no longer under the law, but you are under grace. We are no longer married to the law, but we are married to Christ who has fulfilled the law for us. Why do we need sovereign grace? Because we cannot repent and be converted. We cannot repent and believe. You say, well, it says here, that's what they're telling them to do. Brethren, all this is also in light of what the Holy Spirit said to us. Turn to Acts chapter 5. All this is told to us in Acts chapter 5, verse 30. It says, I'll start in verse, uh, verse uh, 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. And here's the word him, referring to Jesus. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior. Why? Why did God send Christ as a prince and a savior? For to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Wait a minute, I thought the blotting out of sins was me repenting. No, it's because Jesus was sent and died. How do I get repentance? Well, you just have to muster up your faith and repent. Turn from it. You just got to turn from it. See, the natural man will never do that. The Bible says the natural man, in the natural man, that no man seeketh after God. He's always going to seek his own ways, his own devices. He's always going to follow after his own way. The only way that we turn is because we have been given repentance. But if you notice there, he gave. Jesus died so that Israel, and we're not talking about physical Israel, we're talking about spiritual Israel. So that spiritual Israel might be given repentance. See, repentance is the gift of the Holy Spirit that was purchased in the death of Christ. It's a spiritual work of God. Whenever God says that God had before ordained that we should walk in these spiritual works, that's one of them. The Holy Spirit works repentance in our heart, in our mind, 
so that we will turn from wrong thinking because we have been taught of God. We will know more our neighbor say, no God. Why? Because they shall all know him. John, what one John says, that you don't have any need that any man should teach you because the anointing that we have, that spirit of God that is in us, will teach us. So we trust in that. Now, bless you. Let's look at the explicit verses. Now we've looked at those implicit verses: repent and believe, repent and can be converted. And people say, "Well, there you go; them are conditions." But we've seen they can't be conditions because Acts five thirty says, number one, Jesus died so that He can give repentance. Okay. Matter of fact, while you're still there in Acts, Acts chapter eleven, verse eighteen. I think it's another passage that shows this very clearly. Verse 18, it says, When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also... So that word also means that that, what they're seeing is happening, is just like what we have seen happen already. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then have God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. So therefore, the Jews had already been granted repentance. Now the Gentiles are being granted repentance. That word granted there implies the fact that it's not natural. It's something that has to be given to us. Okay? If it was something that was natural, then it doesn't have to be granted. Therefore, then it can be commanded. But something that is granted, you give it to them. Something that's commanded, they already have it, they're just not exercising it. Right? But let's look at some verses in the Scripture that teaches these very things very clearly. Look, if you would, with me at Ephesians chapter 2. I want to look at verses 8 and 9 because this is a passage of Scripture that a lot of people will go to. However, um, I believe that this is taught um, incorrectly, even among sovereign gracers. I've actually preached a message on this very verse. Uh, You can find it on Sermon Audio. I believe the title that I uh, that I uh, entitled that was uh, What Does the That Refer To uh, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Okay? Um, Anyway, Ephesians 2, chapter uh, 8 and verse 9 says, For by grace are ye saved Through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so we see here that faith is a gift of God. Grace is a gift of God. Salvation is a gift of God. However, the free willer comes and says, you know, the that there 
and that not of yourselves, is not referring to faith. It's referring to grace. Or they may go all the way back and just say it's referring to salvation. But they say that faith is not included there. And they give a good reason for that, or what they assume is a good reason, is because of the Greek grammar here. They hold that, now remember, they hold that man naturally has faith. And that he just needs to move his faith from one object to another. And if they'll put their faith in the object of Christ, then they will be saved. Okay? That they'll, God will grant them quickening, that God will cause them to be born from above, and that He will bless them and give them all the salvation promises. But they have to do that. They have to bring their faith from this object to this object, and then God will do it. <clears throat> so they believe that faith precedes the new birth. The new birth is gotten by repenting and believing. When in fact, it's just the opposite, right? But here they say that the that, in verse 8, and that, that word that, refers not to faith. And the reason they say that is because, for one, it breaks down their theological premise that faith precedes quickening or salvation, or is a condition. It's the condition for salvation. And the reason they say that is because they go to the Greek. And they say that the word that there, and it, this is true, and I want to agree with them in this matter. The word that is neuter. The word faith is feminine. Therefore, that cannot be referring to faith. And so they'll say, there you go. Because that is neuter and faith is feminine. Those two genders don't match, so that cannot be referring to grace. I mean faith. It has to be referring to the previous part of the passage. And I will agree. Faith is feminine and that is neuter. And they don't connect up. But what they don't go on to tell you in that explanation is that grace also is feminine. Therefore, that does not line up with it either. Saved is not feminine, or is not neuter. It's feminine. Therefore, it does not line up with that either. So what does that refer to if everything preceding that is feminine and it doesn't match grammatically? Well, because uh, faith and grace, and salvation uh, is uh, uh, all feminine and not neuter, and they don't match up, what is it that it lines up with? Well, it lines up with the whole phrase. It lines up with the whole phrase. See, faith and grace agrees with, uh, uh, doesn't agree with the neuter, The word that is a masculine, and I'm, this is, these things are smarter than me. I'm just telling you in my looking at the Greek and the pronouns and the things there, that that is a demonstrative pronoun. 
It is a masculine participle. The phrase, are ye saved, is a masculine participle. The only way that these things can line up is for that to refer to everything preceding it. Saved, grace, faith, that is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Now, I said all those smart things. Smarter than me. I didn't come up with that. I went to the concordance and I looked that up. And the concordance that I looked that up in said this is the grammatical thing here. This is the grammatical thing here. This does not line up with this. This doesn't line up with this. It has to line Okay, them are all smart things. <clears throat> you don't have to know Greek to know that though. Because the Word of God has already told us that the faith that is in view is not our faith. We are not saved by our faith. We are saved by the faith of Christ. <clears throat> For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. The saving, the grace, and the faith is not of you. It's of Christ. Christ is the one who saved. Christ was the one who gave grace. And Christ was the one who was the faithful one who obeyed God on your behalf. Therefore, you are saved. We've already been told above that we have been saved by grace. <clears throat> Before this, look at verse 5. Or verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us even when we were dead in sins hath He quickened us together with Christ. That's speaking of Christ's resurrection. By grace ye are saved. See, it's by the work of Christ that we are saved. His work of faithfulness. His, his righteousness. His faithfulness. See, so it isn't our belief it isn't for by grace are you saved through your faith. Now, it is Christ who died for you, but it's through your believing that that you get that promise. That's not what the Bible says. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that grace, saved faith, is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. See, if I was to say... <clears throat> Even if it was the faith that God gave me. If I was saved by the faith that God gave me to believe in Him, then I would still have room to boast. I appropriated that God-given faith. See, I would have room to boast. But see, there is no boasting whenever it isn't reliant upon our faith being exercised, even the God-given faith that God gives us in the spiritual realm, that's not what saves us. What saves us is the faithfulness of Christ Jesus. So Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is not a proof text for faith being able to be done in the natural man, but it is only by sovereign grace. It is a gift of God. Look, if you would, with me, and I'm going to try to hurry here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 2. And here's the reason why I said that. And I probably should have put this up at the, at the top whenever I was talking about 
the clear facts that that we cannot have faith without sovereign grace. But it says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. Now the Bible here clearly declares that all men have not faith. So to just say you have to change your faith from this and put it to this is contradictory to God's word that says all men have not faith. And the verse that we just read, that faith is a gift of God. Faith was given to us in the new birth to believe that the faith of Christ is what saved us. Christ's faithfulness is what saved us. And the faith that we get in the new birth believes that report. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who has believed our report? To whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed. To whom the one that God has given faith to believe the report. What is the report? That Christ's faithfulness has saved us. Why do we need sovereign grace? Because we need the arm of the Lord to be extended and reveal Christ as the one who is faithful to save us. We need the faith of Christ to believe in the faithfulness of Christ. We need the faith of Christ in order to believe the record, the report, the gospel. No man can believe the gospel or the record or the report or the testimony or the declaration unless they have been granted or given or gifted faith. Look at Philippians 1 9, 19, or excuse me, 1 Philippians 1 29. Scripture says, For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. So here clearly we see that we are given to believe on Christ. It's given to us. It's granted to us. We don't do that on our own. We cannot do that on it. It has to be given. It has to be granted. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 25. Or 24. Starting verse 24. 2 Timothy 2 verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. See, God has to grant repentance to acknowledge the truth. Repentance. Turning my knowledge and knowledge from thinking this way to thinking that way. That's what repentance is. All this junk about revival that's going on, about people repenting. Listen, if we're not repenting of their false gospels, that's not revival. That's not a work of the Holy Spirit. 
the Spirit would be teaching them to turn from their Wesleyan ideas and their charismatic ideas of all of what's going on. The repentance of changing their mind would cause them to change their mind about the gospel. The gospel isn't about them accepting, receiving, repenting, believing, about them doing anything. The message of the gospel isn't about them cleaning up their lives. The message of the gospel is Christ has done this. And that we are to believe on that. Not in our religiousness. Look, if you would, at 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 1. Of course, we've seen there again that that was, um, repentance was granted now in 1 Peter chapter, or 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We have obtained like precious faith. That word obtained there is not something that we do on our own. We've been given it. We've obtained it by a gift, by giving, by granting. That's how we obtained it. Okay? And notice, this is a faith that is not the same as all faiths. This is a faith that is different than other faith. We have obtained like precious faith or a faith that is like the others. What others? The brethren, those who have been elected of God. Matter of fact, remember, this is the second epistle that Peter has written. And the first epistle he opens up with to the elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit and obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is talking about the elect. You say, well, preacher, I think you're really kind of stretching that quite a bit. Well, let's turn lastly to, uh, and maybe lastly, uh, Titus 1.1. 1, 1. Titus 1, 1. Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness. Now, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. Number one, Christ Jesus is the elect of God. And we are elect because we are united to Him. Ultimately, this is talking about the faith of Christ. Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faithfulness of Christ Jesus. But also, the faith that Christ gave to Him. See, it is only because of the faithfulness of Christ and His obedience and death and resurrection that any of us can be saved that are united to him and those who are united to him are then given faith to believe that what Jesus did was for us because it says there in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began 
See, the faith is given to us. The truth is given to us. But it is only given sovereignly. It is only given by God as a gift. That's why we need sovereign grace. We need sovereign grace because without sovereign grace, we could not repent. We could not uh, believe. I think I'll stop right there. I'm going to read a couple more verses, but maybe we'll pick up with those, Lord willing, next week if the Lord so chooses to go that direction again. Anybody got any questions or comments? I hope as we've gone through these passages, it becomes clearer and clearer that we see that uh, sovereign grace is a beautiful thing. Uh, again, as I said before, we are left hopeless without it, that no man would be saved without sovereign grace. So those who are despisers of the doctrine of sovereign grace, uh, they speak out of ignorance, true ignorance. Uh, and I don't say that in a, in a mean way or a, a, a way that is, uh, you know, insulting. I say that in a factual way. They speak out of ignorance. They don't know. Uh, you know, they don't realize that uh, that all along it's been by God's grace that without it, they would all perish. Everyone would perish. And so um, I pray that uh, that not only has the, uh, the passages of Scripture that's been brought forth <clears throat> not only confirm to your heart the truth of sovereign grace, but it has comforted your heart uh, that uh, God can do these things. And that's another thing to not forget, that God, because sovereign grace is sovereign, it is irresistible. God can bestow that on whomever He wants to bestow it upon. And so even the person that is the hardest of hearts, who is the most evil of evil, wicked of wicked, the person that you think that God could never save. They can't resist the grace of God. If He decides to give them grace and repentance and faith, then they will certainly be exercised in it by God. Uh, so there's always hope for any person that you might know that you think, well, there's no hope for that person. Well, there's no way that God's ever going to save them. They, they're too far gone. You know, all of us have probably thought that of our own selves. You know, I'm too far gone, maybe. To do that is to presume upon the grace of God, that God's grace cannot save that person. That's why we say, you know, I don't ever, I don't ever, uh, castigate anybody to hell. You know, well, they're not an elect. I don't know that. I can't see God's book. I don't have no clue who God's elect is. Now the Bible says we'll know them by their fruits, and whenever it means fruits, it's talking about doctrine. You'll know them by their doctrine, what they're believing. Do we know whether they're a believer or not? Yes, we can know whether they're a believer or not. Do we know if they're elect or not? No, because somebody who may not be believing may be an elect of God who has yet to been granted repentance and faith. At one time, I didn't believe the gospel. Does that mean that I was not the elect of God? No, but I wasn't a believer at the time. 
God granted me repentance and faith to believe the true gospel. I was converted to the true gospel. And that was by sovereign grace. It wasn't because I grew up in church. I grew up in church my whole entire life. I preached before I ever learned the gospel. But I wasn't preaching the right gospel. I was preaching the wrong gospel. I was believing in a wrong Jesus. Was I preaching a Jesus? Yes, I was. Did I think I was preaching the right Jesus? Yes, I did. But I was preaching out of ignorance. <clears throat> Just like Paul. He thought that he was doing the work of God until God met him on the road of Damascus and struck him down and gave him the truth. Granted unto him repentance and belief. Converted him. As the Bible says, that he revealed Christ in him. That's when Paul realized that everything that I thought was gain, I now count as dumb. Everything that I thought that I was doing for God, that really wasn't for God. All the stuff that I thought I was doing was just religious posturing on my part to try to make a righteousness for myself. To make me look righteous before other men. I was deceived in my heart thinking that my righteousness was going to be accepted of God, and it wasn't. So that's why I say, knowing sovereign grace is a comforting thing, especially for preachers, because I used to think, man, boy, i got to get this message just right, i got to preach it just right, i got to explain it just right, so that people get saved, because if not, their blood's going to be on my hands, if I don't warn them, if I don't tell them, and that it's my responsibility to make sure that they get converted, blah, blah, blah. But praise God, it's not up to me. I'm not hindering or helping anybody into the kingdom but that is the sole work of God alone. And so I'm thankful for sovereign grace. What I once despised, I now rejoice in. That God is sovereign and His grace is irresistible. Alright. Anybody got a question or anything you want to add? Or... Alright. Let's pray. Father, once again, we come to you and we praise you. For sovereign grace, we praise you for the irresistible grace of God that takes out the heart of stone and puts in the heart of flesh and causes us to walk in your statutes, giving us faith to believe on Christ Jesus alone as our righteousness, to walk according to the gospel and not according to the law, or to look solely to our Savior as our only means of salvation. Lord, we're thankful that your Holy Spirit does work among men, that he has given preachers to declare these things for the comfort of your sheep. Lord, that you have given men to declare these things, and that you have given people to believe upon. Lord, we're so grateful for the work of the gospel, but Father, we know that that work is not on our behalf. It's because of God, because of the Spirit of God that works among us. So Father, we give you praise and glory in all things. Salvation truly is of the Lord. Father, we just pray that you continue to remind us of these things. May we find consolation in these things. You tell us to comfort your people, comfort you, comfort you, my people. And the way that you tell us to do that is to speak to your people and tell them that their sins have been forgiven, that Christ has done the work on their behalf. And Father, that there's nothing left for us to do but to say thank you. And that we do today. We say thank you for salvation. 
Lord, be with everyone this week as they leave this place and that you might keep them, minister to them, through them, uh, to those that they may be around, to declare the gospel, <clears throat> to boldly stand for, uh, for your gospel. Father, I pray that those who are yours, who have yet to be converted, I pray, Lord, that you would turn them, uh, turn their heart, and that you might turn their mind, and that you might grant them repentance and faith, and that they might come to you, Father, and that they might be baptized, showing forth that death, burial, and resurrection of our precious Lord. And I pray, Lord, that they might be joined to the church, and that they might uh, be able to uh, enter into the work that you have given for us to do in ministering the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, again, we just thank you for all that you have done for us and your love and salvation that you've given to your people. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.